priest looked out from the courtyard of the tabernacle. I could see the huge crowds forming. Strangely though, very few people were talking. No laughing, no shouting, no greetings of shalom. There wasn't even the lower buzz of conversation you hear in large crowds. It was eerily quiet. Good, the priest thought. The weight of this day was manifesting itself by keeping the crowd subdued. Suddenly, the curtain to the tent of meeting parted, and a man walked out wearing simple linen clothing. It was Aaron, the high priest, having completed his ritual bath before starting the events of the day. When he came into the courtyard, he looked at the sacrificial animals to be sure all were accounted for. A bull, two rams, and two goats. Aaron looked nervous, probably thinking back on the day he lost his two sons because of their foolishness. Finally, he nodded to the priest who withdrew from the courtyard to stand outside the tabernacle. Today, the priest would not take part in the sacrifices, only the high priest alone. Today, the priest would be like everyone else in the nation of Israel, for this was no ordinary day. It was the Day of Atonement, commanded by God years ago, a day of sacrifice, fasting, and repentance for the whole nation. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of Bible Backdrop. Today, I'm going to dive into the holiest day on the calendar of Judaism, the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. God gives instructions to Moses in Leviticus 16, with additional instructions in chapters 23, verses 26 through 32, on how the day is to be conducted. First, let's look at the name Yom Kippur. The translation and root of a name says a lot about it. Yom is simply the Hebrew word for day. However, Kippur is not such an easy translation. Most searches say that it simply means atonement, but a deeper search revealed something more. There are several words that could be the root of Kippur. According to the site Abram Publications, the verb Kippur describes the formation of any sort of protected perimeter around any sort of vulnerable interior. The noun Koper describes the price of a human life, i.e. the purchasing price and cost of keeping a person out of slavery very similar to a ransom. The noun kippurim is a plural of kippur and denotes a massive free buying and free keeping of many people at once. Finally, the noun kaporet is the technical term for the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the mercy seat. So the root of the word kippur is a protection, a ransom, and a covering. Keep this in mind as we go through the details of the day. As mentioned earlier, Leviticus 16 gives detailed instructions to Moses about the Day of Atonement and Aaron's role. It was to be observed on the tenth day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, also called the month of Tishri. The placement for these instructions in the book of Leviticus is interesting. As we've seen, chapters 1-7 through seven discuss the different offerings. Then 8 and 9 discuss the priests and their role. Chapter 10 is something of an aside, as it tells the story of Aaron's two sons who offer, quote, strange fire before the Lord, end quote, and are instantly killed for their transgression. Chapters 11 through 15 give rules of dealing with the uncleanness, the reason for the sacrifices. Then chapter 16 gives the instructions for the Day of Atonement. However, it starts with, quote, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died, end quote. So chronologically, it would probably be soon after chapter 10, but happens in chapter 16. God does nothing by accident, so its placement is important. All the other chapters build up to the Day of Atonement. So what happened on this day? God gives very detailed instructions to Moses on what Aaron was to do. Interestingly, the chapter starts with a warning. Quote, 
Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. End quote. Aaron was to enter the most holy place where the ark of the covenant was located in the tabernacle only on this day and never at any other time where he would die. This warning may be a result of what happened to Aaron's sons who died in chapter 10. In that chapter, God also warned Aaron to not take any wine or strong drink, which might give another clue. It's possible that after too much alcohol, the brothers decided to take a peek behind the veil and paid the ultimate price. So here, God reminds Aaron that he is not to go into the most holy place except on the Day of Atonement. The chapter then proceeds to discuss the necessary sacrifices. First, Aaron was to bathe his body in water in preparation. In this context, bathing meant to completely submerse oneself, which may have been difficult given the desert environment. After bathing, he was then to put on simple linen clothing. Undergarments, tunic, sash, and turban were all made from simple linen. This is very different from what he normally wore. As high priest, Aaron normally wore very beautiful clothes that are described in Exodus 28. Quote, And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. End quote. From this description, we can see that he had very regal clothing in keeping with his office. This was not so in the Day of Atonement. After washing, Aaron put on much simpler clothing of bare linen. The symbolism is important. Every other day, Aaron was God's representative to the people. On this day, he was making atonement for himself and the nation. He was coming into the presence of God, and his clothing had to fit the occasion. After washing and putting on the linen garments, Aaron then had a number of sacrifices to make. The first was a bull that offered atonement for himself and his family. Quote, Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. End quote. Before coming into God's presence, Aaron and his family had to receive atonement for their own sins. After this was done, then he had to make a sacrifice for the whole nation. Quote, he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. End quote. Continuing on in verse 7, quote, He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. End quote. We'll cover the scapegoat later in the episode, but let's start with these sacrifices. As it states, the bull was sacrificed, however, it was not offered on the altar. It was killed, and the blood was drained from the body. Then Aaron was commanded to, quote, take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, and bring it inside the veil. He shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of testimony, otherwise he will die, end quote. 
So while holding a container full of bull blood, a pan of hot coals, and some incense, he went behind the veil into the most holy place where God dwelt among his people. My guess is that he did not enter behind the veil carrying all three things. He may have put the incense on the pan and then put that behind the veil so that the smoke could fill the room. The smoke from the incense was used not only to have a sweet smell, but in this case it was to provide a visual barrier so that he could not look upon the mercy seat for seeing God's presence so real could have killed him instantly. Once the smoke filled the room, then he would feel safe to step past the veil with the bull's blood for the next part. Verse 14 states, quote, Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. End quote. While behind the veil, he sprinkled some of the blood on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat as a covering for his own sins. After this was done, he was instructed to do the same with the goat. The goat was killed, and the blood was drained. At this point, the smoke is probably dissipating, so he takes the fire pan, puts new coals in it, and the second handful of incense, and repeats the process as he did earlier. The goat was sacrificed not as an atonement for Israel's sins, but for the cleansing of the holy place. As one commentary states, quote, The priest who cleanses others is himself unclean, and he and his fellow priests have tainted the sanctuary by the very services which were meant to atone and to purify. End quote. As a result, the most holy place needed to be ritually cleansed with atoning blood. Once he was done inside the most holy place, Aaron would then make atonement for the altar that was in the courtyard. Thousands of sacrifices would have been offered here, many of those being sin or trespass offerings. Aaron would take some of the blood of the bull and some from the goat and put it on each of the four horns of the altar. Then he was instructed to sprinkle some of the blood on the altar seven times to, quote, cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel, end quote. There were constant sacrifices being made to atone for sin by priests who themselves were sinful. The cleansing is a reminder that sin pollutes all that it touches and that blood is required for atonement. Before we talk about the scapegoat, there are two points I want to make regarding the wording in this chapter. First, God uses three different terms, transgression, sins, and uncleanness. This gives an idea of the depth and breadth of Israel's sinfulness. The Hebrew word for transgression is pisa, and it is the most grievous word for sin. It indicates a breach of relationship in two parties from a covenant violation. If you recall from the episode on covenants, a breach was extremely serious and could have negative consequences up to death. Again, God is giving us an idea of how he views sin. Second, I discovered that Aaron did all of this alone. He had nobody with him in the tabernacle. He did all the sacrifices, drained the blood of each animal, got the fire from the altar, and conducted the ceremonies alone. Clothed in simple linen garments, he was probably covered in blood after he was done with the sacrifices of the bull and goat, since they both had to be drained. This is certainly symbolic of Jesus, who suffered and died alone for our atonement while covered in his own blood. Now we come to the scapegoat. As directed earlier, one goat was the sacrifice for atonement of the most holy place and the altar, while the other was the scapegoat. The chapter continues, quote, And when he, Aaron, has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions, concerning all their sins, 
putting him on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. End quote. This is the part where God would make atonement with his people. Oddly, this point did not require a death sacrifice. The living goat would bear the sins of the people away from them. Aaron would place his hands on the goat, confess their sins, and pray that God would take away the iniquities of the people. This was important as it linked confession of sin to atonement. The goat was then taken and released into the wilderness. This was the only place where Aaron had help. According to some commentaries, the person took the goat at least 10 miles away and then watched it as it walked off to make sure it didn't come back. Later stories say the goat was taken and then thrown off a cliff, giving it a much greater certainty that the goat would not return. This is a reminder that God's memory of our sin is as far as the east is from the west and that he will remember it no more. With this last part done, Aaron was to go change out of his linen clothes, that were almost certainly coated in blood, and bathe again with water. Then he would put on his priestly garments and offer the rams for the burnt offering, one for himself and one for the people as described earlier in the chapter. These would be the final sacrifices of the day. Before the day was complete, there were a few more events that took place. The person who took the scapegoat away had to wash his clothes and bathe in water before he could come back into the camp. Also, the bull and goat that had been offered to cleanse the tabernacle were taken outside the camp and completely burned up. They were not treated the same as other offerings and burned on the altar. They are the representatives of sin and were treated as such. Then the person who had this job had to also wash their clothes and bathe, and then they could come back into the camp. The chapter ends with God reminding the people that this was to be a permanent statute and that they were to observe it at the same time every year. It was also to be a Sabbath day where no work was done and that the people should humble themselves. It concludes by saying the high priest would conduct this each year and to follow the instructions given in the chapter. To wrap up, God gives another reminder of the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 23. Here he reminds the people again that it is a Sabbath day and that they are to do no work. It also says that they are to, quote, humble your souls, end quote. Reading through commentaries, the translation may literally be calling for the people to fast for the day. If so, this would be the only religious ceremony where fasting was required. On that note, I'll stop here on this episode. I hope you've enjoyed learning a bit more about the Day of Atonement. After looking at the details, I may do an extra episode on the symbolism of this day. If you're enjoying Bible Backdrop, please subscribe and leave a 5-star rating and review. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at biblebackdrop at gmail.com. Word of mouth is still the best way for the show to get around, so please tell a friend and have them subscribe. Thank you again for listening, and have a great week.